Hey everyone, so this is Future Me coming to just put a little warning at the beginning of these two episodes. Happy Mental Health Awareness Month for one, but two, these episodes do discuss my journey of depression and anxiety and my car accident. Not in graphic detail, but they do discuss my struggles. And if any of this could upset you, please come back after these two episodes and normal content will be resumed. But please be kind to yourself. And this is my journey with mental health. And I hope that you are kind enough to yourself. If any of these depression, anxiety, sleep problems trigger you and go into therapy then please skip this video and I will see you again soon. Bye. Hey everyone, happy Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, I can't believe we're at episode 10, episode 10 or 11. I should know, but I don't of this podcast. Um, it's passed quite a lot. A lot of things have happened, a lot of things have changed since the beginning of the year. Um, but May, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And it's quite important to me and to many neurodivergent um, individuals. Um, and I wanted to talk about my journey with mental health. But because it's quite long and I don't like to make these episodes too long because I, I don't like to over make things too long for people to pay attention to or people have to have hours and hours and hours to listen to these. So I broke them down into two. So what this one that I'm recording now is my journey to accepting and getting help. And then not next week, the week after, when it's next episode day, um, my journey to management of my mental illness. So let's see where we get off to. So I've faced quite a journey with my mental health and I've got notes here because there's so much that I can't remember it all and there's a lot that I'm not ready to put out on the internet but I guess we've all had mental health but in high school we were taught about anxiety and managing exam stress and school stress with anxiety and peer pressure and I often just thought this this thing called anxiety that we talked about was something I felt more or less constantly which made more sense when I got my ASD diagnosis so I had acute anxiety when I was a teenager, but I just thought that was normal, and to a level it is, but not panic attacky daily kind of situation, which is what I was in, which wasn't easy to manage. And then depression came into my life like an inked water when I was seven, sixteen, seventeen. Um, so when you add ink to water, drop by drop by drop it slowly dilutes into the water and the water becomes darker and darker and darker. And that's what my mind felt like. And then there was this downward spiral and it really did feel like a spiral going down and down and down and down. And the further I got down and the further, the more I wanted to get up, but I couldn't get up because I just didn't know how. For the longest time, I denied there was a problem. So I mainly became really poorly when I was in employment and this isn't purely to blame in employment but there was a big situational aspect to that 
But I blamed the long hours. I was often working 9, 8am in the morning till nearly midnight. Or like 10 at night till 10 at night. Or 10, at mo- 10 in the morning till 10 at night without really any break. Or if I had a break, it was like 5 minutes, if that. I blamed it on the long hours. I blamed it on how people treated me. Which was partially true. Um, one of the reasons why I'm so adv- so big in advocating for mental health and neurodiversity and how naive you can feel as a neurodivergent person is massively to do with this because I the way I got treated was bad and I presumed that was normal because they told me it was normal and that spiral back and forth and it it, it was bound to have a negative effect I blame being a teenager a hormonal teenager it has a lot to play with it i blamed PMS for a while I blamed having a bad period I blamed being in pain because around this sort of time I torn my abdominal wall and I was in a lot of pain we didn't know that's what I'd done at the time but I was in a lot of pain and I blamed on just being tired and what I didn't realize is that my mental state was amplifying everything else and it was kind of like a oh that's gonna make that worse that's gonna make your body's hurting gonna make your head worse but your head worse is gonna make your body worse and it was just like these two things were fighting each other and they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger i remember feeling alone scared numb heavy dark not wanting to talk to anyone not wanting to be near anyone other than the dogs dogs my soft spot (laughs) being being tired having a very very short attention span an even shorter fuse in terms of anger and just blowing in in a way into meltdown which I now understand what waking up and not being able to move but mentally being awake it's something called sleep paralysis and it's it really is scary because your head is awake but your body can't move and it feels like you've been paralyzed you can't lift a finger you can't move you can't get up you can't do anything but your brain is awake it is the most horrifying thing that I never want anyone to experience I remember the night terrors I remember the insomnia because I didn't want to experience the night terror but I was so tired and then I was thinking about everything that I had to do tomorrow and it it was a nasty circle but the list is almost endless of how I really felt now I'd like to say I recognize that I needed help and I got help when I asked for it but it wasn't like that so I think my downturn in between getting help and being ill was about 14 months and this isn't to say there was any one thing to blame for this I was I was there was a few things that were kind of stopping it I was in physical pain and I believe that was the only thing that was a problem and I was waiting for surgery and I tried changing jobs and seeing all these things and told my abdominal wall and then wasn't well. And it was like a spiral. I was like, I admitted I had a problem, but I didn't think I was that bad. And then I blamed my physical ailments for reason my head hurts. I was like, let's fix the body. Head will follow. Surely it didn't. It really didn't. And then I was near enough to 18. So I was like 16, 17 to 18 where CAMS in the UK, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service, list was so long, they were like, we won't see her before she turns 18 anyway. And then she's got to go on another wait list. And that was difficult because, in fact, there was a lot going on that the GP didn't know about. 
and there was a lot going on that I wasn't telling my parents about and there was a lot that I didn't want to tell anybody but if someone had taken the time to build a relationship with me I probably would have been at the top of the cams list I I I was in a very bad space and within two and a half months I'd had a really rough ride so this is about April May of 2019 I'd been signed off work on the 1st of March um because I was in so much pain I'd been put on tramadol which is a really strong narcotic painkiller and it was it was great and I, I can't believe I'm saying that but I was the biggest and I still am an anti-drug advocate but the drugs that were killing my physical pain which every time it moved made me want to scream but it had the added benefit of numbing my brain I actually couldn't feel anything mentally physically and all I had to do was lie there because I couldn't work I was so out of it and it felt amazing and I think if it had only been a couple of days it would have been great but this went from surgery being delayed to find out what the problem was for like seven or eight weeks and then I had in the middle of that I had a really bad period as well which the tramadol wasn't touching and I lost it and the dosage slowly increased as the pain increased as my head decreased and I was burnt out there there is no other way to explain it it was an autistic burnout in its purest form but I was living painkiller dose to painkiller dose and I don't now take painkillers. I'll take like paracetamol and stuff like that. But even though I have a chronic pain disorder and I am in pain all the time, I don't really want to go on to anything because although it may may feel physically great, the effect on my head and the chance of addiction due to autism with my in combination with my autism and my PTSD and everything else, it's so complex that it's actually not worth it. So I I was I was very ill and I wasn't really getting out of bed because I felt so sick and I couldn't sleep but I was kind of in this like doze state. It was kind of hard to explain. And I was so angry and I found out what was wrong and the surgery went okay and all these things and I was recovering from surgery. I had a few infections fine. But I was scared as the painkillers came off and I physically felt better but my head didn't improve was when I was like maybe I've got a bigger problem here than I originally thought I did so that was quite hard it was hard in many ways to to admit that because there people have been telling me my mum and dad have been telling me for months you're not right something's wrong what's wrong it's like I'm fine I just don't feel well I was scared and I was alone and I was having a meltdown every day and at minimum, at maximum, that was how long I'd go. It could be twice or three times a day. And no wonder I felt bad. I, I just don't know. My journey to recovery started at not even my lowest point, which may sound kind of juxtaposition, 
of what I'm saying, but after two weeks after I had surgery, I was in a very nasty car accident. Um, and in a way, I'd always thought of having my driving license, and I still do as my key to independence. So, as you don't know me that listen to this podcast, because I know some of my friends and family do, that it was. It was, I, I live in the middle of nowhere, but very, very seriously. It's a 20 minute commute to a uni, but even then I don't go to a uni in a sissy city. And I remember crashing and it wasn't my fault. In fact, people say it was an act of God, but I, I don't think it was. It was a mechanical fault on my quite new car. It was only a year old and the steering rack failed on my car. And what that means is the steering column, the thing that you use to navigate where you want the car to go, one wheel went one way and the other went the other. So the passenger wheel locked the complete opposite way I was... No, the passenger wheel locked straight and the driver wheel locked the way I was steering. And it pulled me off and I hit a tree and I could see it happening and I couldn't do anything. I could hanker on the brakes as hard as I could, but I wasn't stopping. And I wasn't even going near the speed limit. I was going like 20 under it because it was a... It's not... It, the speed limit on that road isn't what it should be. And I hit a tree and I lost it. And that was a Saturday. And then on the Monday, mum took me to the doctors because I really, I couldn't move. I was really struggling. And it was hard. And it was one of those things that I couldn't really explain. But I was, I was more or less catatonic. You couldn't talk to me. I was just in this like autopilot eat, sleep, bed, eat, sleep, cuddle, bed, eat, sleep, cuddle the dog, bed, I, I couldn't do anything, I couldn't bend, I couldn't move, and I was meant to have been going back to work on the Wednesday, and the doctor looked at me and went, that, that, there's no way that's happening, not a hell chance of that, and that's when it occurred to me that I couldn't go back, I, my, the physical pain and although the surgery had recovered from the injuries from the car accident weren't going away anytime soon and we're now four years later and my injuries still hurt from the car accident but it had screwed my head and it was almost the saying the straw that broke the camel's back I was I was holding on I wasn't really coping I wasn't living but I was I, I was coping and that was it, that that was it then, I couldn't, I couldn't take anymore, I couldn't explain what had happened to me when I was working, not at that job, at the job before, or the job before that, I can't even remember, and I, I lost it, and I completely broke down, You, I couldn't speak, I couldn't explain how I felt, because I didn't have the words to do that, thank you therapy, but it hurt, and it hurt hard, and two days after that, I was no better. And my mum's like, no, something's seriously wrong with my child. And took me back to the GP. And normally they don't give antidepressants unless you're under CAMS until you're 18. This was May 14th, 2019. My birthday's August 7th. It's something to do with brain development, which is why they don't do it. But I was so ill, it, a GP literally said if we don't do something, you're going to get even worse, 
and how much brain development it's going to really impact is probably negligible in between May and August. So you've got June, July. My birthday is the first week of August. It, it, it was worth the risk. Or the minimal risk that probably was going to cause. So I started taking citralopram at a very low dose to begin with. It didn't stay that low. But that's part of my management thing and we'll leave that for next time. But I remember take these tablets that we were in a sheet. I've got a sheet of them next door actually. I should have brought it in here. And I remember having this tiny tablet in my hand and looking at it. And it taking me three hours to swallow it. But that wasn't the end of my deterioration. Although the meds helped to a degree, they brought me up a little bit and then I'd crash again and we'd up the dose and I'd come up a little bit and I'd crash again. And that was kind of the pattern that I was cycling through um, until I went to college in the September. And I was like, I can't go back to my job I was doing. I need to do something new. So I started to study at college full time. And that's when I got my autism diagnosis, which we've talked about on this podcast before. But that was me at my lowest. And I will be really honest, most of the stuff I just told you, I don't remember. I know stuff from dates, from pictures on my phone. I know stuff from what other people have told me. I know vague bits, but I don't have much memory from March 2018 to February-ish 2020 it's hazy to me like there's little bits like we went to Ibiza as a family and I have no memory of it and for me people say depression it's just in your head but it's so much more and when I got my diagnosis, it was clear I had depression and it was clear I had crippling anxiety. But when the actual diagnosis of post-traumatic stress came through, I had to acknowledge what had happened to me and move on from that. Not even move on, accept how damaged I was, but that there was a path to recovery. Or management. I prefer to say management because I never will be 100%. I thrive to be that but I actually don't know what that feels like I don't have any memory to be and it shocks people when I say this to me I don't think the sun ever rose from March 2018 to February 2020 I genuinely don't think the sun rose once I said this to my mum the other day and she she was like no it did you just never got out of bed to me it rained every single day for two years more or less did but there were gaps in there somewhere depression isn't about someone just not getting out of bed or someone being in a bad mood I remember someone telling me just cheer up and I was like if it was that easy I would have done it months ago and I mean that so the reason why I've come on to say my story is because Much like I advocate about neurodivergence constantly, mental health and neurodivergence are one in the same to me. Um, There is a very high likelihood if you have autism, ADHD, 
or any neurodivergence condition, but particularly autism and ADHD, to have a comorbid mental health disorder. Because the anxiety and the fears of failure and the, the spiralling that they can cause does have its effect on you. I am proud to say that I'm still here and I'm still fighting. But I want to be an example that you can get help. It's not always easy and the journey back up is not always linear. And if you are having mental health problems, I please, 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 please reach out for help. Whether that's a friend, whether that's family, maybe it's your GP, the countless mental health services I will tag and leave links and phone numbers in the bottom of this video and in the bottom of this podcast notes for teams that you can reach out to for help, services, phone numbers, use them. The bravest thing you will ever say is I need help. Those three words can not only change your life, they can save it. But they may be the hardest three words you mutter in your entire life. Do it, please. It, it really can change everything. I'm still standing because I said them. And it may feel like you're screaming out for help. But not everyone sees the signs. So yeah, uh, I look forward to speaking to you guys ne- in two weeks time at our next episode. Um check in with your friends and even the one that's happy all the time because it's amazing what some makeup for a girl or guy can do or a smile maybe just asking hey how you doing are you okay could be the door to save someone's life um and on that note before i get too emotional um happy mental health awareness month I'm doing kind of a lot of activity on my Instagram and Facebook, which I will tag below here if you are interested. And my name's Rebecca. I'm neurodivergent and proud. And I'm proud that I have recovered to a point where I'm managing my mental illness. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I'll speak to you guys soon. Bye.